Have you recently experienced suffering at the hands of another Christian? Normally we think about suffering at the hands of a non-Christian. But I'm talking about have you experienced difficulty in life recently at the hands of someone who is a Christian? You see, last week we talked about the fact uh, that all of us have different areas in which we're strong in faith or weak in faith. We talked about the issues of time and food over the past couple of weeks. But I wonder if you as a Christian have experienced difficulty or pain because another Christian in your life is perhaps addicted to productivity like we talked about last week. Or perhaps someone in your life who is a genuine Christian is struggling with an eating disorder. And as a result, you're suffering because of that. Maybe there's someone at your workplace who is a Christian, but that sort of draw to productivity or to money is causing them to maybe uh, do some things that are divisive or difficult for you in your workplace. Maybe you have a child who's genuinely a Christian but is making poor choices in life and as a result, you're suffering. Maybe you have a spouse who's a Christian but is addicted to pornography or is addicted to complaining or is addicted to laziness or whatever it may be and as a result, you are suffering because of the sinful choices of another Christian. For the past couple of weeks, we've been in Romans chapter 14, and we've been looking at how food and time and so many other things can be a blessing from God, but also can potentially be an idol. And when they are an idol in our lives, it causes us to do things that end up harming other Christians in our lives. So it's no surprise that Romans chapter 15 addresses the topic of what to do when a Christian brother or sister in your life is sinning in such a way that it is causing you to suffer. So if you will, would you please take a Bible and turn to the book of Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, there should be a Bible in front of you if you need to borrow one. Romans 15 is page 921 in those Bibles. And in just a minute, I'm going to read us verses 1 through 12 as we think about the situations where we might be sinned against by a fellow Christian. I'm going to ask this morning that as I read this passage that you stand. So would you stand where you are for the reading of God's word, if you are able. Romans 15, I'll begin reading in verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures 
and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives encouragement, endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. Please be seated. As we come to this passage, we begin in verses 1 and 2, which is the overarching command that is given to each one of us who are believers in Jesus today. Look with me in verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. In Romans 14, Paul talks about the fact that some are strong in faith, and some are weak in faith. This is speaking about Christians. Now, it's really true that some of us are strong in faith in some areas, and some of us are weak in faith in other areas. But the point of Romans 14 is, is that those who are weak in faith need rules in such a way to help them deal with some of the difficulties in life, but one of the possibilities is is that those who are weak in faith when it comes to time or food or money or alcohol or whatever it may be, the problem is is that that can result and will result in failings, in stumblings, in sin, that all of us in the areas that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, time and food and money and relationships and those sorts of things, will at some point stumble and sin against others. And the point is, those who are strong in faith ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Now you may say to yourself, well, I don't feel very strong in faith. Maybe, maybe not, but the point is, if you are currently experiencing suffering, because of the failings or the stumblings of other Christians in your life, you're who this passage is addressing. And whether or not you think of yourself as being strong in faith, if you're being asked by God to endure the sins of others who are Christians in your life, then you must be somewhat strong in faith. And so God is addressing this passage to you and to I to speak about the situations where others who are genuine, real, God-fearing Christians are stumbling or sinning, and we're being asked to bear with their failings. 
Now, Paul says we ought to bear with the failings of the weak. That word ought is actually a very strong word. You can get a sense for what this word means if we look at Luke chapter 17 where this same word is used. There it, Jesus says, so you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only, and then here's the same verb, done our duty. The word for ought is the word for be obligated, to fulfill one's duty. And what Paul is saying in Romans 15 is that those of us who are Christians have a moral obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. We have a moral obligation. It is our duty as servants of God to bear with the failings of other Christians. Just as Jesus served God, so when we serve Jesus, we do so by bearing with the failings of others. Now that word for bear with, that also means to carry or to endure, as in Luke 14 where Jesus uses this same word when he says, whoever does not carry, that's the word, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And Jesus is saying, in Romans 15, that you and I who are Christians have a moral obligation to carry or endure the sins of other Christians. That it is incumbent upon us to bear with them, to carry their sin to at, like a cross that we are carrying. And the question is, why are we morally obligated to do that? The answer comes in verses three and four. For even Christ, even Jesus, the Lord of the whole universe, did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Jesus, who is equal with God the Father, received insults that were meant for God the Father and they fell on Jesus. And the point is, we are morally obligated to bear with the failings of other Christians around us because Jesus did that for us. This is a quote from Psalm 69. Psalm 69 is a psalm that Jesus quotes from other places in the scriptures. If you take the longer version in Psalm 69, verses 7 through 12, you can hear the suffering and the difficulty that's being spoken of as it applies to Jesus. It says, speaking of Jesus, For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. This is Jesus speaking. I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children, for zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me 
and I am the song of drunkards. Jesus suffered not just at the hands of the Roman Empire. Jesus suffered at the hands of his own people, the Jewish people, and not only the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law and the Sanhedrin and those in positions of power. Jesus experienced suffering at the hands of Judas, one of his own. Peter, the other disciples, his own brothers, my own mother's children. He experienced suffering from the crowds that at one time cheered him on. These are the people who are close to him. These are the people who are supposed to be followers of God. And at their hands, he experiences rejection and betrayal and rebuke. He experiences admonition and frustration and little faith that people all around him, weak in faith, unable to see who he is and what he's up to, end up sinning against him. Even Peter. Peter, who is willing to take Jesus aside and rebuke him for saying that the Messiah needs to suffer. Peter, at that point, is weak in faith. And he can't see God's bigger plan and who Jesus really is, the suffering Messiah. And so he pulls him aside and ends up trying to discourage Jesus. And Jesus has to say to him, get behind me, Satan. You're not helping. You have in mind the things of men, not the things of God. And the point is in Psalm 69, Jesus is suffering is coming at the hands of those who are near to him, those who are close to him, those who are part of the people of God. And then, of course, in addition to that, Jesus suffers and dies for your sins and for mine. And so Paul says, why are we morally obligated to endure or to carry or to bear with the sins of other Christians? Because Jesus did that for us. And so if you are a parent and you have a Christian child and that Christian child has fallen in with some of the wrong friends at school and as a result their behavior at home both to you as their parents and to others in the family is causing you problems, the command from Romans 15 is, is that you are morally obligated to bear with that child while they're going through this journey of faith. Well, that begs the question, are you not supposed to say anything? Are you not supposed to tell them to stop sinning? Are you not supposed to come alongside of them and say, do you not see how your choices are making my life and our lives miserable? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. In the midst of you and I suffering because of the sins of other Christians, God is promising to give us two things. Number one, endurance. Which is the idea that we're probably not going to be able to speak up the moment someone begins to sin against us 
Instead, we're going to have to put up with it and endure it and bear it and carry it probably for a longer period of time than we feel humanly capable of doing that for. That if you have a Christian spouse who's in a, in a dark place right now, if there's somebody in your small group who is sinning against you, if there's someone at your workplace who is a Christian but is weak in faith when it comes to money or time or whatever, the point is, is you're going to need endurance to be able to bear with that for the next few months or years or decades. But the promise of God is that he will give it. But the other promise of God is that he will give encouragement. Encouragement includes guidance from God to know when to say what to the person who's engaged in harming you. How you're able to know when to address it, when to bring it up, what should I say, how should I say it, when should I do this? Last week I told you the story about Kathy Keller. Her, her husband, Tim, is the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. And last week I shared a story about how Tim, a pastor, a godly man, was struggling with workaholism. That was a, He was addicted to productivity. And they had made an agreement together that he would for three years work some longer hours to help the church plant get up and going. And I told the story about in his words, how the three years had come and gone and his wife Kathy began to ask him time and again, it's time to dial back the hours. And he kept putting her off and kept saying, just a few more months, just a few more months. They don't say in the book, but I imagine that this went on for months and probably years where she's having to endure this treatment, this sin at the hand of her pastor husband. I told you that in the story that one day when he comes home, she's out on the balcony and she's got a hammer and their wedding china and she's smashing saucers with the wedding china and he thinks that she's lost it and so he finally pays attention. Well, when I gave you the story last week, I want to pick up the rest of that story. When we had the story last week, we sort of ended with the line where he says, there would never be a convenient time to cut back. I was addicted to the level of productivity that I had achieved. We stopped there last week, but the story goes on in the book. I had to do something. She, that's Kathy, saw me listening for the first time, and we hugged. Finally, I inquired, when I first came out here, I thought you were having an emotional meltdown because she's smashing China with a hammer. How did you get control of yourself so fast? With a grin, she answered, it was no meltdown. Do you see these three saucers that I smashed? I nodded. I have no cups for them. <laughs> the cups have been broken for years. I had three saucers to spare. I'm glad you sat down before I had to break any more. <laughs> now, what I love about that story is it's exactly verse 5. That for however many months and years her husband was sinning against her, God gave her the endurance to bear with it, to endure, to carry that cross. But at some point, God also gave her the encouragement, the idea to use this thing and this moment to try to get his attention. That's the promise of verse 5. That when you and I are suffering because of the sins of other Christians in our lives, and please hear me, 
it may be that that's the worst kind of suffering. We can understand when non-Christians do things that harm us. But when another Christian, because of the weakness of their faith in a particular area, is sinning against us, it takes mercy from God because he sees us in that situation and he gives us endurance and encouragement to tell you when to say something, to give Kathy the idea to use these three saucers to try to get her husband's attention. You say, well, how would I know when God is telling me to say something? Well, that's verse four. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Where do you find endurance to put up with a Christian who is sinning against you? In God's word. Where do you find the guidance and the encouragement to know what to say and when to say it and how to say it? In God's word. And the idea is, is that Psalm 69 is not just written for Jesus and about Jesus. Psalm 69 is written for you and about you. And if you find yourself in a similar situation, please, I've said it many times from this platform. If you're going through something difficult, find your psalm. What I mean by that is turn to the book of Psalms, start in Psalm chapter 1, and start reading through until you find that psalm that seems to describe exactly what you're going through and how you're feeling. When you do, do whatever it says. If you get to Psalm 27, I'll tell you right now, what it's going to tell you to do is do nothing. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. That is God providing endurance, but probably not the encouragement to say anything yet. If your psalm is Psalm 51, where it says, I will teach sinners your ways, that's probably the Lord telling you it's time to say something. That's what's going on in verse 4. Where do endurance and encouragement come from? They come from God speaking through his word to us today. This is not a historical document or just a historical document. It's the living word of God. And as if to hammer home the point, when I got up this morning to pray and to get ready for the service, I was simply reading not in the Psalms. Uh, I'm currently in the book of Matthew, and I'm just reading a chapter of Matthew a day and listening for what the Lord has to say. I got up this morning to pray and to get ready, and my reading uh, this morning was Matthew 16. And I read that, and I heard God, when I say this, I don't mean an audible voice. I just mean in my spirit. I felt God giving me endurance and encouragement. And I thought, this is amazing. And God's like, yes, that's what I said. Go tell them. So I'm telling you. All of us need endurance and encouragement. And the amazing thing is, is no matter how long you're doing this, you'll open up God's word and you think he's not going to say anything today. But that's not the case. You open it up and you read it, and all of a sudden you realize the living God of the universe sees you in your situation and says, I know the suffering you're going through because I've asked you to bear it. And he'll give you a word of endurance or a word of encouragement, guidance to know what to do. 
All of that brings us to verses six through nine, which is sort of the pull back the curtain, see where this all goes. It's kind of the final picture to encourage us to keep going. Verse six, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Now, we've been in the book of Romans for about a year. One of the great things about being able to take a whole year to go through this book is that you can take some time and kind of read a passage and and preach on it uh, each week. One of the problems is, is you can forget that Romans 15 comes really right on the heels of Romans 9 through 11. And although we were preaching through that what seems like many months ago, if you're reading through the letter, you would be reading Romans 15 with Romans 9 through 11 in mind. And in Romans 9 through 11, God is laying out his plan for human history. And what he tells us, which is this great mystery, almost unfathomable, is that God allowed the hardness in the Jewish people's heart to manifest itself in such a way so that God could offer salvation to the Gentiles as well. That God wanted to be and must be faithful to the promises he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but wanted to bless more than just the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Romans 9 through 11 tells about this amazing, unfathomable plan of God whereby God opened up salvation to the Jews and to you and I today who are not Jewish. But all of that required that Jesus become a servant of the Jews. In other words, it required that Jesus suffer at the hands of the sins of others. That he be persecuted, that he be mocked, that he be rejected, that he be crucified by his own people so that the plans of God could be accomplished and that when Jesus died on that cross, he died for all the sins of the whole world, suffering, bearing, and enduring all my sins, all your sins, all the sins of the whole world. But look at what it says. So that God will be glorified. We've gathered here today because Jesus suffered for our sins. We sang praises to God's name because Jesus suffered for our sins. We have eternal life because Jesus suffered for our sins. We're becoming more like Jesus by the power of the Spirit because Jesus suffered for our sins. And Paul has included this at the end of Romans 15, this section, to tell us that if you and I will follow in Jesus' footsteps and be willing to suffer because of the sins around us, God will be glorified in that. Now, I told you half of the Keller story last week, and then I filled in the rest of the story this week. 
I also told you half of my story last week, which was that when I was in graduate school uh, working on a PhD, there was a possibility it was actually happening where the studies and all the reading and writing was beginning to consume my time, and my wonderful wife had the courage and the encouragement from God to say something to me to say, look, we got to get this schedule under control before it destroys our family. Now, why was Tim Keller willing to listen to Kathy Keller when she's smashing these saucers? Because of her suffering, she'd earned the right to be heard. When my wife says to me, all this time you're spending on studying is destroying our family, she'd earned the right to say it because of the months that she had endured. The problem with academia, at least for me, was there was always more books to read and there was always more pressure and it felt like it was too much. And so I just would think to myself, weakness of faith, just a few more hours, if I can just get a little bit more done, then I might be successful at this. But she was the one who paid the price in loneliness. I leave and I get to go be part of the academic world and what's going on and spend the time in the library and do the work. She's the one experiencing the suffering and the loneliness because of my weakness in faith. But at some point, God gave her the encouragement and the courage to say, you're destroying our family. You need to do something about it. And I can genuinely tell you there's not a day that's gone by since that I haven't praised God that she did that that's what this is saying if you are willing to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and bear with the sins of other Christians against you there will come a point in which God uses your suffering to point them more back to Jesus and they will be restored and God will be glorified why do we bear with the sins of the weak not because it's fun, not because it's easy, not because everything's going to go our way, but because God is glorified and because we're following in the footsteps of Jesus and the promise of God is. Look how it turned out for Jesus. If you follow in his footsteps and endure the sins of others in your life, if you put up with the fact that every single one of us is a Christian, we'll have other Christians in our lives who are struggling in whatever area and as a result will sin against us. If we bear with them during that time, at some point, God will be praised. And at some point when that story is told, God will be glorified. 